Articles of Faith, 5 through 7. Number 5. We believe that redemption, regeneration, sanctification, justification, and salvation are by virtue of the birth, life, death, resurrection, and mediation of Jesus Christ. And in no other way. And that all the graces of the Spirit are referable to the Church of God. Number six. We believe that all the saints were predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, elected to eternal salvation according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that they will all be called with a holy calling and the righteousness of Christ actually imputed to them by the effectual working of the Holy Spirit, so that none of the heirs of the promise can be eternally lost. Number seven. We believe that all the elect of God were chosen in Christ, Jesus before the foundation of the world, that they should be holy and without blame before him in love. So I would appreciate an interest in your prayers, the time that we uh, stand before you. I had the uh, articles of faith in the church directory, and I think that I left it in, uh, in New York. So I have a copy of what uh, Sister Kathy has put on the back table back here. It's the same copy and same set of articles. And we'll, if you have a copy of that, you're welcome to follow along. Also, Sister Kathy has placed a directory in the back for you to make any changes on your address, and she will update it and get us copies of all of the um, all of the articles. So, in looking at these three articles, um, as we go through the articles of faith, I think that uh, these three uh, certainly could be preached on individually, but also I believe that we can blend some of these together because it's it's talking about. Um, much the same or at least different aspects of our salvation that work together uh, in our salvation. And so a lot of the scriptures that we'll look at actually address um, each of these articles right here. In uh, the first three, uh, we've emphasized the uh, belief that we have in Jesus Christ and the Trinity and the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost. We've addressed that we believe that the scriptures are the inspired word of God and that that is our rule of faith and practice as a church, as a follower of Christ. We believe in the third uh, article that God is sovereign in all of his ways and that he does his will as he pleases and he's not dependent upon us to do his will and to perform his will. And then the last one that we talked about last week was about the fall of Adam, the fall of Adam, the fall of Eve, and the consequence of that fall and how we found ourselves in a totally destitute state, separate from God, dead in trespasses and sin. So if we stopped right there, we'd be in a pretty miserable fix. We would. I'm glad. And as we look at these other articles uh, I, I love these articles and what they represent and the truths that they represent in the church of Jesus Christ. When I, I wasn't raised up 
being around some of these articles of faith, they're uh, very similar to the church that I attended later on in Lubbock, Texas. The article's very, very similar. But I wasn't brought up uh, in, uh, in embracing some of these articles, and it was, it was a little bit foreign to me. And I can remember when, uh, uh, through reading, through study, through my grandparents uh, sharing with me, I can remember when all of a sudden it was just like you flipped a light switch on. And it was just so clear. And it has been since that time. But I remember that when, when the switch was flipped, that I thought to myself, well, I'm right and everybody else is wrong. And I took that approach with them. And I am really, really thankful that God put three men in my life that changed my life. He put three ministers in my path. All three of these ministers were ministers that labored for peace among God's people. And my pastor saw the approach that I was taking as a young man. And I have never forgotten this experience that he shared with me. He saw the error of my way. And this is what he said. He said, Brother Stephen. He said, if somebody is living in a shack and that's all they have. Uh, I can say that because some of my folks grew up in shacks in the Depression. My grandparents grew up living in a tent for a while because they were so poor and had a dirt floor. And so I can understand what they were referring to right there. But he said, if this is all they have and you go and you tear down that shack, they're going to come out and they're going to defend and fight you to the end. But he said, if you build a brick house... And you walk over and you hand them the keys to the brick house. You don't have to do anything about that shack. Now, I'm not saying that what folks embrace is a shack. But what I am saying is that what I took from that is that I'm to preach the truth. The principles of the Lord's church and the truths of the Lord's church. And people see that themselves without me having to address other beliefs. When I grew up in West Texas, there were preachers that would preach against other religions, and they spent more time doing that than they did telling you what we believed. And I don't think that's honoring to the Lord. And we have some precious, precious truths about Jesus Christ and His sovereignty. And it's a great blessing to be able to share those truths for people to see. It says that the truth will set us free. I can attest to that. I grew up under a bondage that I felt like I had to help the Lord out. And when I realized that God was sovereign, there was a freedom in that. And I've rejoiced in it. And one of the reasons that I have a desire to travel around, and I appreciate your patience with me on that, is I rejoice when other people share in those truths as well because there's a freedom and a deliverance in it. So let's look at some of these verses and let's just see if they support. I mean, our forefathers had to get these principles somewhere. This next one um, we'll touch on right here. Number five, it says we believe that redemption. What is redemption? My grandmother used to collect green stamps. 
She'd go to the grocery store, and my job was to lick the stamps and put them in the book. Anybody here remember that? That's way before Brother Bray and Danny's time. But she would get all these stamps, and we would put them in a book. And when she had the book full, then she would take this book of stamps, and she'd trade it for a toaster or a can opener or something like that. And she would redeem those stamps. So it tells us right here that our forefathers believed that we were redeemed. We were purchased with something. We were bought with something. It says that we were redeemed. And then it says that we were regenerated. Well, what does regenerate mean? That just simply means that it gives us life. Well, if we're dead, we need life. We need life naturally speaking, and we need life spiritually speaking. So we've been redeemed, we've been bought, we've been regenerated, we've been given life. We certainly can attest and agree that we need sanctification. What does that mean? That means we need some holiness. Well, where are we going to find holiness? Where are we going to get holiness? Where are we going to achieve holiness? If we recognize ourselves, we have an, a lot of unholy thoughts, a lot of unholy actions, a lot of unholy decisions and choices. So where are we going to get holiness if we're going to be in need of holiness? If we need to live better and more rightly, where are we going to get that? He tells us here that our forefathers believed that we receive redemption. We receive regeneration. We receive sanctification, holiness. And then it says that we receive justification. Now, what's he referring to right here? We have a big debt that we owe. We have a big price that we owe. Because of our sins, we're not able to pay that debt. That debt is greater than what we can pay. So how is that debt paid? How are we made just before a righteous and holy God? And then he says that our forefathers embraced that we believed redemption, regeneration, sanctification, justification. And then we're still in need of something else. We're still in need of salvation. We're all in need of that. And if we need salvation, where are we going to find it? Is it something that we can conjure up and do ourselves? Is it a decision that we can make? It is, is it a price that we can pay? Our forefathers say right here that they believe that redemption, regeneration, sanctification, justification, and salvation are by, by virtue or by the role or act or the benefit of the birth, life, death, resurrection, and mediation of Jesus Christ. So if we're going to experience redemption, if we're going to be redeemed, it's by Christ. If we're going to experience regeneration, it's by Christ. If we're going to experience sanctification or holiness, it's the, the righteousness of Christ that's placed upon us. If we're going to experience that, if we're going to experience justification, it's through Christ, through the blood of Christ. And if we're going to experience salvation, it's because of Jesus Christ. And so our forefathers are saying right here that if we experience these wonderful blessings right here, it's not based on us, but it's based on Christ. And that's what they were saying. Amen. 
Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son. I love that message of Jesus Christ. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he might save his people from their sins. No. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. And he did it. So, if we believe this is through Christ, let's look at what Paul says about it in, uh, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 2 are so good uh, to reiterate this right here. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. So Jesus Christ purposed this in himself and he fulfilled it in himself. So it wasn't a proposal. It wasn't an offer. But what Jesus Christ did was a declaration that he fulfilled what he desired to do. And we're the beneficiaries of that. Uh, It also comes down and it says, and I think that maybe Brother Malcolm added part of this in here when it says, and in no other way. That that sounds like it's it's in there a couple of times in our articles. And I think Brother Malcolm may have have, uh, emphasized that just a little bit right there. But then it says, and that all the graces of the Spirit are referable to the church of God. And this one sort of, I I didn't understand it just immediately. So I called Brother Andrew. And Brother Andrew and I discussed it and we talked about it. And Brother Andrew uh, researched it. And he said, do you know that this is an article that comes directly from the New River Association in North Carolina, in Southern Virginia, North Carolina? And he said, that's probably where the Articles of Faith uh, came from as they were transferred to Maryland was from the uh, mountains of North Carolina and in southern Virginia. And he says that what this means right here is that these things that happened right above it that are the result of the, the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the mediation of Jesus Christ, that these graces that these blessings, that these benefits are referable to the church of God. And he says that doesn't specifically only mean Mount Carmel. It doesn't specifically mean uh, uh, other, quote, primitive Baptist churches. But he says this is talking about God's people, God's universal church, God's elect family that are the beneficiaries of these graces right here. And that it carries through to all of God's people. So it's the universal church. That's what our forefathers embraced right here when they wrote this. You can go down and read Ephesians chapter 2. All of that is really, really, really good. Let's go to article number 6. Boy, this one was so hard for me when I first, when I first, I didn't even understand the terms, the words, and what they meant. We believe that all the saints were predestinated now, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. 
It doesn't mean that everything we think, say, or do is predestinated. In fact, if you look at the definition of predestinated, if you break it down, it just simply means that somebody other than ourselves predetermined our destination. Now, I can't even figure out how to get up into Pennsylvania from here myself without a GPS, much less figure out how to get to heaven itself. So I am so thankful that there's somebody that's in charge of my destination other than me. And I have to tell you that I expect you're glad that I'm not in charge of your destination. And what he's saying right here is that God predetermined where we're going to end up. And he also predetermined how we're going to get there. And God doesn't make any wrong turns. Now, I I make wrong turns even following GPS sometimes. Surrey gets on my mind, on my nerves sometimes. Does she yours? I mean, just especially when I make a wrong turn and she's just over and over. You need to go up here and make a U-turn and turn around. And I just sometimes I just turn her off, you know. But it's usually when I made some wrong turns. God doesn't make any wrong turns. It's always just right. And especially in regard to your salvation, God doesn't make any wrong turns. Every turn he made was just exactly right in determining where you're going to end up. So he says right here that our forefathers said, we believe that all the saints were predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. One sister When she heard about predestination, she told Elder Bradley, she said, predestination is not in my Bible. She said, because I cut those pages out. Well, it's in your Bible in several places, and we'll look at it right here. And I was surprised when I found that it was in mine. It says right here that all the saints were predestinated. Their destiny was determined. All the saints were predestinated to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, elected to eternal salvation. Now, really, doesn't that sound like a good thing? If you're elected to something, it's a good thing that you're elected to eternal salvation. I mean, really, can you think of anything else that you'd rather be elected to? You're elected to eternal salvation through Christ. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father, that they will be called with a holy calling and that the righteousness of Christ will actually be imputed to them by the effectual working of the Holy Spirit so that none of the heirs of promise will be eternally lost. What's he saying right here? What are they trying to say? What are they saying that they believe that the scriptures teach? They believe that God's people are foreknown by God. And we can read in Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 13 that their names were written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. And John said that he looked and he said, I wept because I couldn't find anybody that was worthy to open the seals and loose their seals and look thereon. So what our forefathers are saying right here is they believed that the scriptures taught that from before the foundation of the world, God foreknew his people. Now, let me tell you what I don't believe it means. Some folks will say, well, I do believe in election or I believe in predestination. But I believe that God 
foreknew and he had foreknowledge to look down through time to see who would or would not accept him. And as a result of that, they were predestinated or they were elected. That's not what it means. When it says that God foreknew us, he foreknows us in an intimate way. And he foreknew us from before the foundation of the world. He didn't base his decision on what we would do. In fact, he based his decision in spite of what we would do, Amen. in spite of ourselves. So let's uh, let's look at a few verses that uh, uh, that that will support what our forefathers embraced. I, I like to I like to read the the articles and imagine and believe what the forefathers were trying to convey to us when they were uh, when they were convicted about these articles right here. And, and by the way, I, 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 want, I want you to, I want these young men and these young women to understand these truths. And I want it to be something that's precious to you and that you appreciate and you hold dear. And when I'm not here anymore, I pray that you'll get a minister that embraces these truths that have been so precious and so dear to this church for 85 years. I pray that that's what you will look for and that you will seek. I pray that if we have men come up among us, that they preach these truths, these precious truths that are precious and dear to us. So let's look at Romans chapter 8. I love this chapter. I love all of it. I even, love, I even like Romans eight twenty eight, But we're going to start with 29. For whom... Now, I want you to realize that the same number of people that he starts out with in the first part of this verse right here, he ends up with the same number. At the end, he, by the time we go through these individual uh, uh, aspects of our salvation, he still ends up at the end with the same number that he started out with. He says, for whom? So he's talking about people. He's talking about his children for whom he did foreknow. He foreknew us in an intimate, in a personal, in a loving way for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate just simply means he predetermined where they're going to end up. He predetermined their destination. He says, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, he says in verse 30, first of all, he foreknew us, number one. Number two, it says he did predestinate us. He predetermined our destination. And then number three, it says that he calls us. My... Grandmother used to call us when it was time to eat supper. And we would usually go and we would go in a hurry and running unless we were playing and really having a good time. And sometimes she had to call two or three times. My mother used to call us to do some chores and I was a little bit slower about that. But right here he says that God calls us. And when God calls us, he's effective every time. And when God calls us, he's not surprised at where we are. Amen. 
And when God calls us, we're usually going away from the Lord. But when the Lord calls us, he reaches us and he finds us and he puts his spirit within us and he calls us. Look at what he says. For whom he did foreknow, and he also did predestinate and them that he predestinated, he called. And those that he called, I, I want to go over to uh, John chapter six, because this supports what uh, what Paul is saying right here. You, uh, you, you want to really hold on to this one because it's really, really good. John chapter six. This supports what Paul is saying. We'll come back to Romans eight, eight, uh, 29 and 30. John chapter six says right here. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So I really like this right here. And what he's saying is that that all, however many that was, whoever they are, he says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that this same all which he hath given me, that I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up again at the last day. He's talking about his people right here. And he says, all, uh, Brother Luke, would you get Sister Perry some water, please, if you will? All that the Father giveth me, he says, I'm not going to lose a single one of them. He says, every single one that I was given, Jesus Christ, by the Father, I'm going to represent them fully. I'm going to pay the price for them. And he says, that same number that God gives me, I'm going to take them home to glory. And I'm not going to lose a single one. And by the way, just in case, this is my understanding. You may have a different, I've met folks that have different variety of views on this. I believe that the family of God is a really big family. I believe that the family of God, I believe it's representative of the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. I can't number the stars and I can't number the sand of the seashore, nor can I, nor is it my responsibility to number the family of God. It's not my job to do that. I don't, I don't feel the desire. It's as uh, my, uh, my, my, my mother uh, went to a doctor that, um, uh, at Johns Hopkins, super sharp, sharp fellow, and he did surgery on my stepfather. And my mother asked the doctor a question about something else that was not really related to this issue that the doctor had uh, performed surgery on my stepfather on. And this doctor, who, who no doubt has a lot of wisdom, he just simply said, that's not my area of expertise. It was not my area of expertise to try to label the sheep and determine exactly how many are in heaven. I'm happy to leave that in the hands of Almighty God. That's not our responsibility. But he says right here, he says, all that he's given me, I'll lose none of them and I'll raise them up at the last day. A, a couple more verses here. He says, no man can come to me except the father which has sent me draw him. And he says, I'll raise him up at the last day. So he says, we can't even come to Christ unless he draws us to him. He says, no man can come to me except the father draw him. And he says, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Verse 47, a lot of emphasis placed on believing in Christ. And we certainly should believe in Christ. But here's how he describes it right here in John 6, 47. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. If you believe on Christ, it's because you have everlasting life. It's not the belief that causes you to get the life. It's because you have everlasting 
life. Uh, Verse 65 says, uh, I come unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. So back to Romans chapter 8. It says, moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called whom he called and justified. That means he paid the price for our sins, a price that we couldn't pay. Jesus Christ did it. And he says, those that he foreknew, the same ones he predestinated, the same ones he called, the same ones he justified. And then it says he also glorifies them. We are in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. I like what Paul says after that. What shall we say to these things? What do you, what do you think about it? Do you rejoice in it? Do you... Uh, you, do you uh, believe it's talking about you? Do you hope and pray that you're in that number? Here's how Paul described it. He says, what shall we say to these things? I believe he's talking about these things that are right above it in verse uh, 28, 29 to 29 and 30. He says, what, what do you think about these things? He says, here's what I think about it. Here's the bottom line. He says, here's the bottom line. He says, if God be for us, who can be against us? God is for you in foreknowledge. God is for you in predetermining your destination. God is for you in calling you and he effectively calls you. God is for you in justifying you. He pays the price completely in full and God is for you in glorifying you. And so you're heaven bound. Colossians chapter three, verse one says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. You have an experience in its entirety being risen with Christ in heaven itself. But you're in the family of Christ. And he says, if you're heaven bound, if you're a child of the king, he says, seek those things which are above. You know, when I get discouraged, when I face despair, when I get really discouraged along the way, it's usually when I'm not seeking the things that are above. Usually I'm getting bogged down with this world or the things around me or the things behind me or some of the things that might be in front of me. But every single time that I look to Christ, I'm encouraged. No matter what your difficulty is, no matter what your trial, what your struggle is, you take it to the Lord. I found out that there's a lot of things I can't fix. I, I, I don't have that ability, but I know somebody that does. And I tell you, it's a great blessing to be able to take those things. I think we should do all we know to do. But I think there's some things that we can't fix. That the battle's the Lord's. And those very things, we take them to Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll take them to Christ and then I'll go pick them up again. You ever do that? Give it to the Lord. And then you think maybe the Lord needs you to help him out again. You pick it back up. Well, Paul says, what do you say to these things? He says, here's what I say. If God be for us, who's going to be against us? He says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he freely with 
him also give us freely all things. And then he says, and by the way, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? He says, it is God that justifieth. Uh, it, it goes on down and he says that there's not anything that will separate us from the love of Christ, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, pale or sword. He says, no, in all these things, even in all the challenges and difficulties and struggles, he said, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That basically tells us our condition. We're victorious over Satan, over the obstacles of this world over sin itself. And then he comes down and he says, I'm not, I'm persuaded there's not anything that will separate us from the love of Christ. So we believe that all saints were predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, elected to eternal salvation, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father, that they will be called with a holy calling and that the righteousness of Christ, that's the the, uh, the, the, the goodness of God imputed within us through the blood of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, to the effectual working of the Holy Spirit, so that none of the heirs of promise will eter- be eternally lost. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lust, and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Anybody ever experienced any of that? But he says, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our mercy toward God, that he redeemed us, that he washed us with the blood of Jesus Christ and we're made whole by him. So the next one, we believe that the elect children, the elect of God were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and that we should be holding without blame before him in love. The verse that my pastor, there were several, but the verse that my pastor sat down and, and explained to me about and taught this principle, and it's been a blessing to me all these years. My pastor's now with the Lord, but he went to Romans chapter 9, and it explained to me that God is in charge, and God is in charge of sovereignly choosing as he sees to do. And here's what he said. Talking about two children here, Jacob and Esau, verse 11. For children being not yet born. So they hadn't done any good or evil, it says. Two children. For children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. I remember the first time I read this and I thought, I just don't get it. I, I just don't understand this. It's just not, you ever have trouble connecting the dots? Well, I was really having a hard time connecting the dots. It says, for children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. And then he says, election is not according to works. He says, it's not according to works, but it's according to him that calleth. So, what he starts out saying right here, and then he gives us an example right here to be able to understand. He said, election is of God. We're not running for an election. We're not campaigning for an election. We're not trying to sell and convince ourselves of this election. He says, in fact, there's two right here and they haven't even been born yet. Now, I know that one might spiritualize this or I, I, 
when I, when I was taught it, it was taught as a, as, as, as a lesson that I was able to embrace and understand, and I've rejoiced in it since that time. And here's what he says. He says, according to election, according to the purpose of God, that, that not of works, but of him that calleth, he says, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. And then verse 13 says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, to me, that's just pretty clear. I couldn't understand why God would do it that way, but I understand that God says he's in charge. Some folks say, well, why would God hate Esau? I mean, why would he? That was the first thought that came to my mind. And then after I pondered it a while, and I realized that without God's grace, I'd be an Esau as well. And without God's grace, we'd all be Esau's. So the question was not, why did God hate Esau? But the question was, why would God love Jacob? Jacob was not lovable. Why would God shed his love upon Jacob? Brother Phil, this is one memory I have of your father. Uh, Elder George Johnson was preaching on this and, uh, and uh, your dad came up to him after the service and uh, he approached Brother George Johnson and he said, I just have to ask you. He says, it sounds to me like Jacob got preferential treatment out of this deal. Well, Jacob did. He was right. Jacob did. Jacob got preferential treatment, not because Jacob deserved preferential treatment, but because God is sovereign and he chooses as he will and he spreads his mercy as he will. Look what he says right here. He says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Keep in mind, he said, they children that have not yet been born, neither having done any good or evil. He says, what shall we say then? I have to tell you, the first time I read this, the first time I heard it, I responded just exactly like uh, 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 Paul said that we would right here. I said, is there unrighteousness with God? The first time that I heard it, the, the first thing that came to my mind was, that doesn't sound like God is fair. It sounds like God is unfair. But if we just go back up a couple of our articles and we see that we are depraved, unworthy, and we're totally dead in trespasses and sins, we're in a hopeless, helpless, a sinful state, then it's only by God's mercy that he plants his spirit within Jacob and his family. He asked the question right here because he knew that there would be folks like me that said, that doesn't sound like that's fair. He said right here, is there unrighteousness with God? And then I like how Paul addresses this. He presents the question right there. And right there in that same verse, he answers the question. He says, is there unrighteousness with God? And right there, he answers it. And he says, God forbid. What's he mean right there? Goodness, no, absolutely not. There's not any righteousness, uh, unrighteousness with God. And then he d explains it for us right here. He says, for he saith unto Moses, he says, I will have mercy upon whom I'll have mercy. I, I, I love this right here because I, it just seems like God is standing back with, with a great degree of long suffering, a great degree of patience right here. And he's just declaring that he's God. He is. Amen. He says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. 
He says, I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. He says, so it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. But he says, it's of God that showeth mercy. The only reason that there's children that will live with God in heaven someday is because of the mercy of Almighty God. He says, it's because of his mercy that there's a family that's going to live with him in glory. He comes on down and he says, um, doesn't the potter, who he refers to as God, have power over the clay to make one lump to honor and another unto dishonor if he chooses to do that. He says, God is sovereign in how he works his will, even with his family that will live with him in glory. Now, this one helped me a lot, and maybe it'll help you. I love this uh, in, uh, in Hebrews. This one, this one helped me a whole lot. Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 11, verse 10. For this is a covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. He says, I will put my laws in their mind and I'll write them in their hearts. And he says, I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And he says in verse 11 and 12, and we'll wrap it up with this. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. How? For they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. He says that he writes his laws in our minds and in our hearts. And he says, I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. He says, it's not for us to teach people to know the Lord. We can teach people to know about God, but we can't teach them to know the Lord. We can teach them about the goodness of God. We can teach them about the blessing of God in our life. We can teach them about how that God is precious to us, but we can't teach people to know God on an intimate way. Only God can do that. And he does it when he writes it in our minds and he writes it in our hearts. And he says, I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. These are some precious truths that our forefathers embraced here at Mount Carmel. And in a feeble way, we try to continue on in the legacy that they established here 85 years ago. And I pray that this church will stand. It's very similar to the Doctrine very similar to the Articles of Faith of, of uh, Columbia, established in 1792. Welch Track, established in 1698 up here. It came from Wells. It's, it's, it's very almost identical to the Articles of Faith of the others. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.